Okay, guys. Our section in the book today was one seven six. Vicar, did you come and get the class attendance for a Thursday morning men's Bible study? Is that why you came here? Yeah, right. He's not away, but it's all right. I, well, when I saw it, I realized I left mine upstairs, so. Oh, that vicar. It's better. Better than me. Okay, what were we talking about? We're talking about the book. Okay. Uh, I think it's like, it was page like 176 to page 198. All right, great. Good. I, we, we did the right one then. All right, and, and taking a look at this uh, section, I am... Um, uh, I, well, first of all, I'm sorry. So what did you guys think of it? Uh, this, is, this is important. I should ask this question first because this was a great source of topic of talking last time I taught. What did you guys think? <laughs> and uh, what were some of the things that came to your mind as you read this section? Anything in particular? And then we can talk about whatever I, uh, you know, what I thought of it. So. In case you read it a long time ago, can't remember it. This is the section where um, she is uh, uh, she uh, she's uh, what's it, yeah uh, what's it called I mean yeah but what is it what does that mean oh yeah blood clag in the leg does anyone know what DVT actually means D oh yeah deep vein that's it bam somebody said it back there and I didn't hear him okay. Um, okay. Anyways, uh, you know, kind of, re- you know, figuring out what all that means. And then uh, she has her baby. Elaine? Right? Uh-huh. Goes back to work. But she was misdiagnosed. Hmm? No, it's uh, was well, that was that was a, a symptom of a uh, the the blood issue, right? Right. The blood clot was caused by her other. Right. That was a presenting system. A symptom is that what they call that? That's why the guy said you should go to a different doctor, right? Her, yeah. Right. She had to go on Coumadin. All right, anyways, so uh, you know, that, that happened, and then at the end of the section, well, she goes back to work. Then she, you know, uh, this treatment for this uh, other thing was, you know, really expensive. She had to call her dad, ask for help. That was hard for her. Joe, uh, okay, so then she turns 30. Big birthday party at the end, which, of course, now reveals how young she was, right? Did anybody think she was older than that? <laughs> Me too. I know, I know, same here. Well, that's because you probably knew already. Oh, man. Penny, what did you just say? Say it louder. She seems cynical enough to be older. You know, I, I tell you what, Pastor Bruzek always tells me I'm too young to be cynical, so I don't know what that means. I'm 38, though, so I'm getting old. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so, um, yeah, her, her 30th birthday party, uh, obviously it's a big surprise to her. Like, she, she was so kind of consumed with what was going on in her own life, she couldn't, she didn't, she didn't really realize that 
you know, this could turn out to be a birthday party. And everyone was there, and of course, she had to talk to Joe about something. She finally did, and she told Joe she was pregnant again after the doctor said to not have any more kids, basically. Um, anyways, in her, uh, and then, you know, they kind of, at the end of the section here, she is at this kind of crossroads because she has this discussion with Joe. Joe's like, hey, this is great. She's like, no, it's not. It's terrible. <laughs> I, I, she didn't say terrible. She, she, uh, it, she didn't have the same reaction, obviously. Let's just put it that way. And uh, her, she had a lot of fear, though, I think, behind her reaction. Speaking of babies. <laughs> um, the thing is, though, is that uh, when Joe says, hey, you know, things are going to be okay, she saw something in Joe that she had never seen since she had met him, um, which is, is a nice little quote. I didn't quote it. Well, at least I didn't think I did. Um, page 198. I think this kind of sums up where Joe and Jennifer are in their spiritual journey. But uh, uh, very, very last paragraph. I stared at him, searching his face for the smile that would accompany the punchline to this dry joke. But he didn't come. In his eyes was a gentleness, a bottomless vulnerability that I had never seen before. So... Um, that, and that's how the section kind of ends. So that's kind of the nuts and bolts of what happened. Oh, yeah, maybe I missed something, too. Okay, so hang on. So uh, Carol first, Marilyn second. But Joe says that. Right. Okay, yes, right. And then that's, that's her, her response to that is she, he, she thinks he's joking. But, of course, he's not. Well, for him, not for Jennifer right now. Marilyn. That's right. Right. And that was going to that adult class mm-hmm. that really impacted her to think, you know what, this isn't all just a, a nice search. God is really there and he's calling me. Yeah, right. So so some of the things she believes that there is a God. Yeah, now the thing is, though, uh, obviously Joe, yes, that's right, but Joe and, and her still aren't quite at the same spot in their no, spiritual no. journey, right? And um, Noah... Rocha, I think that's how I spelled his name in the, 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 my outline. So, um, gave this great story, right? And um, Jennifer kind of just briefly says, you know, like, you know, when can we get done with this? Because she didn't really want to hear someone's testimony because all through the book so far, she's really been concerned about kind of objective truth and facts and, and historical da- data and kind of philosophical uh rationale. However, the story of Noah, or I, I don't know if that's how you say his name. It's N-O-E. Noah. No way. Um, no. I don't, I don't know how you say it. But uh, Mr. Rocha, he, uh, 
None of that stuff really matters in his testimony. What matters in his testimony is the actual presence of God, with a life-changing presence of God, and that he's really experienced. And for Joe... It's almost like she, you know, she. I think she looks at him and he's crying, and she's you know just kind of like, oh, geez. Um, but it, it's almost like life changing for Joe. Like this is, this is real. This is good. And um, but at the same time, she, because of the impact of Mr. Rotra and his genuineness and his uh, change, like she she can't imagine Mr. Rocha in any other like persona besides the one that she sees. Because what does she presume about religion or, or Christianity specifically? That it's not necessarily about uh, death and resurrection. That's how I would say it. It was more about taking what's already pretty good and just kind of making it better, which we will maybe talk about a little bit. Um, but now she's... she's She's, yeah, she's come to this point where she's met someone who's basically died and rose again. And that and she can't just, like, ignore that. Because she, she likes this man, and she has respect for this man. Um, oh, and then, and then they're walking out the door, right? And she, uh, he says, how's your spiritual journey going? And Joe's like, this is great. And she didn't, she didn't really want to answer because she... she it was really hard for her. She, she had to, I think, fight back the tears even. So it was really, that was a really good kind of uh, picture, basically, which I think has been starting for a very long time. Marilyn. Well, the other thing that happened, too, at the end, I think, that she was so impacted That's right. Right. So there's no more playing around. Right, and these people, and, and yeah, thank you for saying that because it, it was, um, it, it's these people that she has great respect for, you know, and, and this is something that I think that's important for us to kind of mull over, is that these people are able to talk about their experience of God in a way that impacts her only based on this prior relationship, because she respects them as, as like human beings. Like, these aren't crazy people, basically. They're respectable, they're intelligent, um, you know, they're not religious fanatics. But when, you know, when Mr. Rocha starts talking, that's kind of her, 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 basic, her little, is like, oh, let's get over with this because this sounds kind of kooky. Or, or it's going to be kooky. And of course, at the end, she doesn't think that anymore. And then gets piled on with Joe's experience. And now she has to, uh, and she sees it in his eyes, you know, this vulnerability, this openness. So, uh, yeah, so uh, uh, good. Uh, I had a coworker a number of years ago who was, um, a lot of people often don't know when the pastor's wife until sometimes farther down the road. Right always come up what your husband does. They just know what you do. Sure. You do it every day. You know, I mean, so it was interesting because we had had a friendship for a while and um, then suddenly you 
then suddenly it comes out. I never, it's interesting all the different reactions that we Yeah, have. right. Well, this seems, most people don't know, most people, maybe you're, a lot of people lapse Catholics, so they don't even know Pastor's wife. Yeah, right, sure. <laughs> yeah. They're trying to figure out how the, Chris, how the person they know of me at work fits with this right. thing they don't really know a lot about. And it's fascinating because, like in her case, she started asking me lots of questions. Yeah, right. The lapsed Catholic was kind of a hard feeling about the church. Sure. But I think it was because she knew me just as a real person. Right, yeah. So I, I wasn't so like, I don't know. It's really interesting. Some people just like really, their relationship with me changes at work. Right. And other, in her case, it actually kind of deepened. It was, then she was more open to talking because she knew I was a, nor- a normal person. Right. <laughs> but, I don't know. So I've experienced that kind of yeah, right. Repeatedly. Yeah. Well, and, and so Jennifer's outlook and probably a lot of your coworkers' outlook is that people people are Christians because they just they can't get through life on their own, basically. You know, it's like a crutch. And so um you know, Jennifer Jennifer is finally realizing that, oh, it, it's not a crutch, it's actually truth, which kind of goes directly to her father's question, right? Uh, when they're talking on the phone, you know, well, do you think it's true? And, you know, she couldn't really answer that question because it was so hard. And so far she was trying out living under the rules because she thought that by by just kind of doing that, life would be kind of, uh, well, she doesn't actually say easier, but she gives that impression when she struggles with, am I looking for something that's easy or am I looking for something that's true? And, um, you know, so it's, it's kind of this, this notion that I'm going to be a Christian because I need a little help just to get through life. And I can't do it on my own. As if the Bible is like this kind of, what, self-help sort of thing. It's going to just kind of get me through things. So people who, you know, so when you, you interact with someone who's, quote-unquote, a normal person, who's just kind of, you know, not this uh, person who's always wondering, you know, what's the next thing to, to help me better my life. People are kind of surprised because they thought, oh, I thought, I thought you'd become Christian because you, like, you, you know, you're crazy or you're, you just can't, can't get with it. Are you the one that mentioned that humans are being work on Facebook? I thought we mentioned that somewhere in Bible class, that there's this thing called, it's someone who's done sort of like this, I would call it a photographic project. You know? Yeah, right. They have a photograph of a person. It's all about humanizing people of New York. Yes, and so I've seen last it. Last week's installment was a guy who more or less said, my aunt dragged me to church, and my life has never been the same. I go every day now. But right. I, I was reading a kind of a, a yeah, right. thing. The responses to this were insane. Yeah, so what did they say? People were like, oh, of course it was all this, like, Religion is for losers. Religion, I mean, right. exactly what you were saying. I, I was just, I had to stop reading because it was so, it was really interesting how people just have this, like, almost um, vitriolic response yeah, right. to religion. Yeah. It, it hateful, actually, what the things they were saying. And, and you're like, this guy was just saying, it's been great. It's been great. And yeah. like, half the people said, he's an idiot. Yeah. He's been hornswoggled or whatever. <laughs> He's been tricked. But now, that, that reaction to religion was really intense. Right now, I almost felt like reading, writing in a little bit about what. I don't. I didn't, but a little bit about what we're religious about here in our like. Yeah, right. Religious about community and beauty. Yeah, right. Out, like 
Well, and here's the thing, too, like, even though, I mean, but God does help us in certain things, and God does does uh, give us things that, you know, so don't get me wrong, it's not like that doesn't happen, it's just that that's not the primary purpose, and that's what Joe's comment at the end is, is that, hey, we might go broke, life might be really hard, but we will have peace, and what Jennifer's thinking is, okay, well, I'll be broke for a little bit, right, that's her previous kind of perception, We'll sacrifice for now because I'm going to get more later. And what Joe is and is kind of realizing is, no, you're just going to die. I mean, basically, I mean, that, that, I kind of put that simply is that, yeah, you're just going to die, broke, suffer, suffering. Uh, it's not like, hey, you are going to, you're going to sacrifice for now, and then you're just going to roll in it later, whether it be monetarily or whatever. I mean, it, it's the, you know. Yeah, okay, Penny. Well, and wasn't that what she's been fighting against since the incident in the creek? Right. That there's got to be something more than you just died. You've got to have a better life. Right. And now she's understanding. Uh, the, yeah, right, exactly. So, I mean, and that's why this book is really good. I mean, there's, she just, she's kind of piecing her story in a way that really demonstrates. Um, what was kind of put into her by the Holy Spirit, unbeknownst to her, of course, uh, from from the get go, is just it, it's this it's blossoming now. It's finally blossoming, and I always think about this: is that you know, uh, well, I think about this, but um, you know, in gardening, <laughs> so you get the seed, and the only way the seed will come out is if it if it breaks something. It breaks the soil, and at first it has to break itself, and then you think, I mean, so, it, but it has to keep breaking, and and that's one of those things that, you know, I think about in terms of spiritual life is that, you know, the seed is planted, and it sounds kind of metaphorical, but we actually don't think of, you know, why, why did Jesus say that? Well, it, there's a lot of truth to what happens. Things break, they grow. They break, they grow. I mean, it's it's this kind of constant growth process that's not necessarily absent of uh, struggle and pain and brokenness. Carol, uh, Holly. Two things. First, on that same day, I should ask a tail. It was working. A tail, like on an animal? No, a story. Story, okay. Okay. They were building homes and the contractor for the cement came in and yeah. put in all the, the, uh, the no, no, this is for the driveways and, and the garages. Okay. And about, I don't know, three or four months later, all the garage floors started cracking <laughs> and green things started coming up. Wow. Because the, the um, gravel contractor had been found out later, had been carrying a load of soybeans or, or something <laughs> before it picked up. That's so funny. <laughs> so it mean, it really crap. Yeah, right. Hey, it can break through things. Okay. But the other thing that I was, um, back to Jennifer's father. Yeah. Here we have an, an atheist. Mm-hmm. And his concern, I mean, what she said, he, he knew what, what they were doing and thinking. 
Right. And he thought, her father thought, their conclusions were wrong. Right. About God and Jesus. Yep. But he was more concerned with the thought process. Right. You can be a rational person and a Christian, right? You can you can be a smart person. You yeah, can be. But he was if if her thought process were clear. Right. It's like I can accept what you believe. I disagree with it. Right. But I can accept it. Yeah, and, and that's why Jennifer. Well, for him, especially as a scientific person, and Jennifer's. I mean, this is why you kind of get where Jennifer's coming from. Is she's so interested in the like I said, kind of the historical data <laughs> and the philosophical kind of uh, argument. And and again, I, th- I think, you know, just you got to be listening to people as, as you interact with them, is that um, there's just a lot of historical data about what the Bible says and what happens in the Bible in terms of uh, history, you know, whether it be Jesus... The Roman Empire, how fishermen fish in Galilee. I mean, you know, it's it's all these, um, and and so uh, that's important for us to know because oftentimes we make our Christian faith so subjective and and actually just kind of private that all we can really speak about is is ourselves. And of course, for someone who has an outlook like Jennifer, that's just not going to work. <laughs> not at first, anyways. It does work, though, right? I mean, it's it's starting to kind of impact her that this isn't just some uh, abstract notion of truth, but it's it's here. And that's actually why uh, you know. So I um, I have like three little topics here: uh, Jacob, uh, the rich man in Mark ten, and then bearing crosses. I put Job, the widow of Seraphith, and a bunch of other people. I just I couldn't I feel like talking about all these people. And the reason why that is is because these three topics kind of touch on everything that we've already been just discussing. And in chapel, I read from Genesis 32 about Jacob wrestling with God, which at first maybe, I can't remember if I ever talked about this with people, but um, so Jacob, this is a very monumental moment in Jacob's life. I mean, he's already had some big deal things happen. He's slept and had this wonderful dream, and you know, you had to wait 14 years for Rachel. Wait, was it 14? I keep forgetting because, all right, it is 14, 17 for Laban, and he has to go to number seven. And then at the end of the seven, though, he still has to wait like one extra week, right, or something like that. Yeah, um, which is that informs us about the the, the virgins and their lamps, by the way. But anyways. Um, all right, so Jacob's had a lot of you know interesting things happen to him, but uh, you know one of the interesting things about Jacob is that he's he's still trying to figure out who he is, and you know Rachel hasn't been real helpful. Uh, actually, I didn't think about it till right now. I took a, Holly. Were you with me when we went to go see Jacob down in the city at the theater? Um, were you there? No, yeah, but it was the modern. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mary, were you with too? Okay. Uh, Provision Theater in the city of Chicago, they did a kind of modern retelling of, of the Jacob story, of this story specifically. You know, it's, it's very interesting because his mother, Rachel, 
she's just an awful, she's just kind of a, she, I would say an awful woman, but she's a very conniving woman. Oh, Rachel or Rebecca? Oh, Rebecca. Sorry, thank you. He married Rachel. He married Rachel. Okay, sorry. Um, yeah. And it was it was surprising for some of the, the, the people that we went with was like how like kind of awful she was. Anyways, but it, it, it's true. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a kind of a true statement. She did some not so nice things. Uh, but anyways, Jacob uh, has, hasn't been really sure about himself because, you know, he pretends to be Esau, okay? Uh, and he takes things that belong to Esau. I mean, this is not something... Now, of course, God said, Jacob's going to be your chosen one. And we kind of rationalize that under that, like, oh, it's okay what, what happened. But, of course, we would never accept that in our own life. You know, someone lying to us, stealing from us, all under the guise, well, that's just God wants that. Because in the big picture, God would still have chosen. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. So, so, I mean, this is one of those things is that Jacob is really unsure about who he is and, and what are the ramifications of that. And it's, it's kind of what Penny just said, is that he kind of takes things on his own, like he takes control of himself and his, his life. And, of course, now where does that get him? What well, gets him to this point on the river, the, the, the river Jabbok? Because when it pretends he pretends to Esau, where does that get him? Well, what does Esau want to do? Kill everything. Yeah. So, I mean, that, don't be other people, okay? Just be, your, be who God made you. That would be the simple lesson there because uh, bad things happen. The other thing, too, is about Jacob. Now, now we find something out about Jacob. Because God had made a promise to Jake, well, to Rebecca and Isaac, that Jacob would be what? This uh, father of nations, right? Yeah, and, and, and Jacob, we find out there's more to Jacob than Jacob. And where does J- being Jacob lead him? Well, of course, he understands Jacob according to who he is. And it, and it winds him up at the river now. Because who's with him? He's alone. That's exactly right. When you try to take control of your life, you, you, you really end up by yourself. Because everyone becomes a means to your identity. And Jennifer, to a certain extent, has been that way. We, we kind of noticed that at the beginning of the relationship with Jennifer and Joe. You know, we don't talk about these things. Um because that might mean we might ruin what we have. But what they have, though, is more of a uh, sharing space than sharing life. Um, so anyways, so now finally, though, when he's by himself, you know, who shows up, of course? God, right? And which is, which is very helpful for us, because he's, he's alone, but he's not alone. He can pretend to be to be by himself and be his own captain, but he's not. And so what happens then is Jacob wrestles, and you know he gets a new name at the end of it. It's not like another name; it's a new name. God named him Israel, which means what? Yeah, struggles with God or. Whatever. I mean, there's there's a couple ways you can translate it, but um, 
Okay, so now he has this whole new, the nature of his relationship with God, <laughs> which I think is very funny. I think it's funny. Is what? Everything is happy-go-lucky, right? No, he's, he's, it's a big struggle, big pain in the butt. Well, pain in the thigh, I should say. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a well... It is a pain in the butt, but um, anyway. And so the purpose, though, too, though, is that even though his relationship with God is one of struggle, that doesn't devalue the relationship. But at the same time, he is now sent off to be who he was to be. So he goes through all these fake identities. A great, great struggle comes to who he is. And it's not as if, hey, everything's great. Because he continues the rest of his life, right, with a limp. He lives the rest of the life with this remembrance of this struggle. So it is a constant uh, reminder of, of kind of the reality of, of life for him and his life with God. So um, this is really helpful for us because, you know, obviously Jennifer is going through this exactly, right? She wants her body to get in line with what she wants, and I think this is a, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's coming to this point, but she's always had this perspective that she can just decide things, people, my, my life, my body can just get in line with what I want to do if I just try harder, right? And one of the ways she tries harder is by more exertion, but also by what? By more denial, just pretending that it, it's not like that. So, um, so this is really important for her, though, uh, because she thinks now with her, her exploration of Christianity is that she can kind of believe these things while still maintaining this life that she's already lived. All right? And, and she finds out that that may not be the case. Yes, sir. On page 198, or one, no, 188, I could really relate to that. Right. Um, says something about, I resented the system that made me check in on how my choices were impacting my physical well-being. Right. Yeah, she, she, did, she resented the fact that she had to, she wanted to make choices and just, just do what she wanted. But of course what she wanted, though, was what? This is very important for us to kind of contemplate, too. How were her choices, or uh, what was kind of defining her choices? Yeah, exactly. Her, her success, just, just, it was kind of this notion of, of what was kind of the best thing in life. Yeah, right. So status, success, materialism, maybe. Oh, yeah, very good. That's right. Good insight. Right. She's tricking herself, denial. That's good. I didn't think about that. Um, so, but the thing is, though, is that what, what she's coming to now here is realizing that um, she can't maintain a certain set of beliefs without it actually impacting her life. And this is really important for a lot of us, is that uh, you, you, sometimes we believe we can b- believe private things and have a public life. I mean, we see this a lot in politics, right? Like, hey, I'm a Christian privately, but I'm whatever publicly. 
That's actually, that doesn't work within Christianity. I mean, you can't have this private, private belief system and not have it affect the way you live. And this is important for us, too, because I think, I don't know if I wrote this down. Oh, I wrote it down later. Um, is that, well, anyways, so, so you come to this point. So Jacob, his understanding of who he was directly impacted how he, how he was going to live his life. Okay? And that, that, that would be, I'll just put it that way. For Jennifer, though, when she found out she was baptized, that, that greatly transformed how she understood who she was. And now we're kind of, it's this, it's a, this blossoming of, of what has come, uh, what, what, what's kind of started even before she realized she was baptized, but now it's come full head, is that she's, re- she's really wrestling with the fact that she's a baptized person. Yeah, well, I mean, she might not articulate it that right way, right now anyways, because if she wasn't, she would, then I, she would have said, boy, I should be baptized, but this is, that's not part of this discussion in the RCIA. So if you're, if you're unbaptized and you come to the RCIA, at the end of your, your uh, the catechumenate process, you are baptized. But that's not part of the process for Joe and her because they are already baptized. So the church already sees them as part of the fold, yet they have wandered off. And so, now, she might not like that about herself. Now, this goes back to kind of a doctrine of baptism, and she doesn't, probably in this moment of the story, she probably doesn't know that. But how we understand baptism is, is like I tell the children, it's like a tattoo. You've been stamped with the name, the wordy water, and that, that word stays with you. Now, you might grow up and regret that. You might, I mean, you might re- resent that, but it's still there. And the fact, though, that you resent it actually has now what? It's impacted your life. I mean, so the, the, the reality of the situation is, is affecting the way you live. So that, that's kind of what I mean, uh, Cindy. Is, yeah, I don't think she's like, thinking about all this, but I, I think it's actually in play. Um, okay, so anyways, so, uh, so Jacob has finally come to the situation is that he can't pretend to be somebody else without having great ramifications in his own public life. He can't, he can't make his own decisions without having it greatly affect his public life. And now God has told him, this is who you are. And now he has gone, now he's making this journey under, hey, this is who I am, and so this is what life will look like. Holly. Yeah, sure. Right.
Yeah, that's exactly right. And so let's actually, so this is good, this is important for us. So each, well, Martin Luther would say, every day we wake up and drown the old Adam. So every day is a death and resurrection. Of course, when we lie down at night, that's pra- we're practicing for the resurrection. You should think about that when you go to sleep at night. You're practicing death and resurrection. That really, well, I mean, for a variety of reasons, not to get too much on a tangent here, but uh, you, when you lay down at night, you, are, you, you make this confession is that you say, tomorrow's a new day, tomorrow's the day of resurrection, which means a, a new day for new beginnings and a, and a new life. And that, that, so that's very hopeful for tomorrow. Okay, anyway, so Mark 10, rich man, comes up to Jesus and says, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It, Jesus is like, well, you know, basically, what, what do you mean? You, you know, do, do the things that God has told you to do. He's like, well, I've done all of them. And it's like the Ten Commandments. I mean, basically, hey, I've done them all. And, he, and what does Jesus say to him? So, so basically, this man has all the right belief. He knows his, he knows his Bible. He knows his doctrine. But what is he missing? Well, okay, so Chris has said love, but yeah, so it, it, and someone said relationship. Uh, okay, what, what, yeah. I always say I love people, but, you know, do I really love them? There's a very popular song in the early 90s, More Than Words. Yeah, see, remember? I'll, yeah. Uh, the, 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 the moral of that story is uh, you can say I love you all the time, but if you don't, yeah, you, yeah, so you got actions. So yeah, but Krista, of course, is a good Christian, and she understands love in terms of the embodiment of the life of Jesus. So that's what she meant. And, uh, and then that's what uh, I'm sure Jan meant that, too, is that you know, relationship wasn't... You know, because I, I, I could have a relationship... Well, let's think here. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I got relationships with plenty of my relatives, and I might say I love them, but that doesn't mean I talk to them all the time and, like, even send them Christmas cards. So, so we always have to understand this uh, in terms of action, life. So I always say life. So, so what Jesus is saying is you lack one thing, and that's the, the ramifications of what you believe. So basically what Jesus is saying is, so is if you believe this, then you will live this. And of course, this man is sorrowful. He's sad because he has... He's, he's a rich man. He, he goes away sorrowful. Um, but this is something where, so, you know, you believe something, which means you live life. And I think we all kind of understand that because we always presume that belief comes before life. But what Jennifer is doing is the opposite, right? Life means you believe something. And I, I, don't, think they're, I, don't, I don't think either of them is wrong. I mean, I think they're both right. So if, if you live a certain way, that means you will be, that you believe something, for better or for worse. So, you know, uh, Jennifer right now, and to a certain extent, is, is trying to live right according to God's rules. And even though inside of her, she's not, she doesn't quite believe it yet, on the outside, people will say, oh, you must believe this. Now, of course, you would say, eh, maybe, I don't know. But I think for a lot of other people in life... Uh, in particular, uh, I, I talked to a man on the phone a couple weeks ago who uh, is on our rolls here at, at St. John. 
hasn't been to church in a long time. So I called him up. I said, hey, what's going on? Hey, how you doing? Um, well, I don't think I need to go to church to have a relationship with God. I, would, I, I said, well, you know, how, like, how, how do you know that? Like, what do you base that on? Well, that's just what I believe. So it's self-referential. I'm, I'm kind of condensing this conversation. I said, so, well, you know, when, when Jesus talks about believing in God, he, he never talks to individuals. It's always, it's always with people. And to be a Christian, you always participate in life together. Um, so I want you to think about that. I'll call back next month. Anyways, so, you know, it's this understanding that, um, so he believed something and it manifested in his life. Um, and, and I think that's important, I mean, kind of negatively, in my, my perspective, negatively, is that, you know, so he had a certain understanding of, of what God was and what it meant to believe in God. And his life mimic that. Now, as Christians, we also have the same thing. So our life then, to a certain extent, will testify to what we believe. So, you know, um, and this is important. In fact, there's a, there's a guy, Peter Rollins, he's kind of this philosopher dude. Um, he goes so far to say is that he doesn't believe in the resurrection, which a lot of people are like, oh, he doesn't believe in the Bible. But he doesn't believe in the Bible. Why would he say he doesn't believe in the resurrection? Based on kind of what we're talking about right now. Okay. But in terms of, of, of uh, belief and practice, or belief in life. Yeah, okay. But why, why would Peter Rollins say, I don't believe in the resurrection? This is so interesting. You guys are all thinking very abstractly. It's because he doesn't do the things of the resurrection. Because he's not a good Christian. So his practice in life doesn't match what Christ says of the resurrection. Christ says, if you believe in the resurrection, then you go die. Because what's there to lose? Or as Paul even says, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, oh, uh, someone highlighted this for me. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, now you might be thinking well, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it does. Um, that, sec- that, that chapter is where uh, Christians are going to court against one another. And, and uh, Paul says, uh, why not be robbed? Why not be defrauded? Now, why would Paul say that? He would say that because... You are, you've died and risen again. You have everything you, ha- you need and more in the resurrection of Jesus. And because you have everything you need in the resurrection of Jesus, you have this great abundance, then these little things called possessions, defrauding, those are inconsequential to what you actually have. And so that's why Peter Rodden says, well, I really don't believe in the resurrection. Now, he does believe in the resurrection, but he's, he's trying to drive home to the point to the listener or to the reader that if you believe in the resurrection, you're going to have, these are going to be great ramifications to your life. Huge ramifications. They're not going to be easy, 
but it does actually mean there will be these these great changes. Penny. Because he's a self-confessing. Yes, exactly. He's self-confessing that he. Well, no, not a good enough Christian, but the reality is that every day we deny Christ. And, and he's, just, he's, just, he's basically bringing that quite home because he's, he's, surrounded, he meets, he's surrounded by people who are very critical of him. But what he's saying is that, he's basically saying is that as Christians, that's, that's part of, should be our, part of our confession, is that, you know what, I, I, I say I believe in the resurrection, but yet I still like to hang on to things. I still like to hoard things because I feel like my life is in this, not in what God has given me. And so he's just, he's just playing that out. Because if you are that way, that means you don't believe in the resurrection. Because if you really believe, then you will live. And that's how Jesus talks about. Um, for instance, well, that's because of the third section is, you cannot be my disciple. I didn't quote it in this one. Um, you cannot be my disciple without, without uh, dying. There's not like, well, you could be my disciple if you, you know, if you, you were like half dead. That's uh, Luke 17. I, well, I quoted from Matthew because I envisioned us actually opening our Bible today. But um, Matthew 16, where Jesus says, uh, you, 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 uh, uh, in order to be my disciple, you have to bear, my, you have to bear a cross. Now, of course, what is Jesus saying there is you, have to, you, go, you go and die. So it's not like there's a... It, it's it's this it's very binary. Disciples die, but of course they get resurrected. But in order to get resurrected, you must die. You have to go through this 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 uh, death, this uh, struggle. Um, and so that's why Peter Rollins says, "I don't believe in the resurrection," because he's afraid of dying. Peter Rollins. A lot of his stuff isn't really good, but I, I found that very interesting, just the ramifications of, of what he said. Because he does believe in the He does actually believe in Jesus dying, rising from the dead, and he believes in the resurrection at, at the last day. But he struggles with what that means and his belief. He struggles with what it means to believe in the resurrection, which for all of us, we really should. I mean, that's just kind of normal. Because... Um, Well, yeah, I mean, Job is another guy. I mean, read the book of Job. We were, we were going through Job in, in the early morning, Lord's uh, Eucharist, I don't know, a month or so ago. And, uh, you know, Job lost everything. Uh, his riches, his family. And to a certain extent, he even lost his faith. I mean... I mean, read, you know, read, was it chapter 34? Job's like, well, I, I kind of talk too much. I said one thing, but I will not say any more. So in a sense, he's lost the ability to speak. He's got nothing. Speechless before God. And then God just takes over and says, were you there when this happened? And then, of course... Job does experience resurrection, but not in a way that we just kind of think about it. I mean, he does, he does kind of receive a family, but in his uh, confession, he has seven kids, right? 
and when he says he's going to receive his children, how many does he have at the end? Yeah, it's but it's so it's it's more. It's so he will receive his children that had already died. Like he gets them all back in the resurrection. And that's why I know my Redeemer lives is such a popular song in funerals. It should be. But what Job realizes is that he's got nothing standing before God. And so that's what it means to be resurrected. That's the beginning of resurrection. Is to have nothing. And what, of course, at the end of our section, this is where Joe and Jennifer are getting at, right? We might not might not have to, you know, we have to live with our mom, the mom for a decade or whatever. Um, and Jesus, of course, is the, the penultimate example of this. There's a couple of examples, too, like uh, Elijah and the, woman, the widow of Seraphith. She, what, what is she going to do? Yeah, rest bread with her son and die. I mean, that's what she tells Elijah. And of course, God has told something to Elijah that she doesn't know, but we all know, right? That he's going to help her out. But of course, even after Elijah helps her out with the bread, what happens to her son? Yeah, he still dies. And of course, she's like, what? What? I thought I already experienced death. Wasn't that hard enough, God? And of course, she gets her son back, right? So, I mean, that's, a, that's another example of like, you think you died, but you really haven't yet. Other ones are, I mean, there's a variety of people too. Um, Blind Bartimaeus, I, I always think about him a lot. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Blind Bartimaeus, Mark chapter 10, just before Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem. He, uh, he's blind, and he's begging, and he's outside the city. So he's got no job. He's got nothing. Getting out of his sight. And he's not even part of the community. He's on the outside. So that means nobody's taking care of him. And he hears Jesus is coming, and what does he say? Have mercy on me. And uh, he, uh, the disciples of Jesus say, hey, he's calling you. And, you know, this is something peculiar that we can kind of gloss over is he, he springs up and he runs. But he has, doesn't have his eyes yet. I was, I was envisioning what would that look like. You know, it would be a realistic thing where, like, you know, Jesus is over here and, like, he goes that way because he's just blind. <laughs> I'm sure the disciples were there to help him, but I mean, this is kind of, I think it would be a little comic relief in the movie. Um, but then what does Bartimaeus do? This is very important, because in the Gospel of Mark, it's very interesting, the Gospel of Mark thematically, is he goes back to his old life, goes find his old family, you know, takes up the family trade. He goes and follows Jesus, and where's Jesus is going? Where's Jesus going now? Yeah, and what happens in Jerusalem, Krista? His death. So this is interesting. Uh, and that's why Bartimaeus, I think about Bartimaeus all the time. Because in a lot of these other stories in the Bible, it's easy to say, hey, they experienced death and then they got everything back. And they kind of 
live life like they used to. As if resurrection means just going back to the way you used to be. And I think a lot of people, that's how we see Jesus, right? He's, gonna, he's going to, well, I think a lot of people too think, uh, hey, I'm going to get healed and then I'm just going to go back to do what I was doing before. Which turns God into like just a, like a self-help God, right? But Bartimaeus, that doesn't happen with Bartimaeus. He gets his sight back and he, he goes and he dies. <laughs> He gets resurrected to go and die. Because he follows Jesus. Um, what we, do, we don't really realize in the Gospel of Mark is that when you follow Jesus, you follow him to the cross. Yeah. And uh, anyways, so Bartimaeus is really insightful for us because that's the same with Jesus. Because Jesus is really the only one who's lost everything. Because uh, remember Jacob? He was by himself, but he wasn't. God was with him, even though it was, it was a wrestling match. Um, the woman at Seraphath, she thought she was by herself, but she wasn't. Elijah, God was present. But Jesus was the one who was left alone. Right? Because he confesses on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And um, we can't rationalize it. We can't say, yeah, that, that wasn't really true. That, that was true. We can say that about ourselves. That's not really true. We're not really alone. Because <laughs> when you think you're alone, Jesus, the one who was alone, is in fact with you. So, um, so what... What Jennifer is going through is this whole kind of death of who she thinks she is, how she can live life, and what it means to actually sacrifice. She, has to, she kind of has to sacrifice her notion of sacrifice. She's, she is slowly coming to the point where she is done. And of course, at that point, things change. Um, anyways, so how does this all come about? Well, I think it just two, two things is, uh, and this is, these are real basic. How do, how do you make this work? How to make it work? Uh, liturgy, word sacrament. You come to church because Jesus is there. You get to hang out with Jesus as a person. He speaks to you. He touches you. And then also uh, the people around. You get to, ha- you get to be with people. And this is why this man I talked to on the phone, his, his notion of what it means to be a Christian or to believe in God is so individualistic, it leaves that person alone. And I confronted him. I, said, I asked him, I said, who's going to do your funeral? Who's going to be at your funeral? You never thought about that before. Um, I think if I asked that question first, he would have been like, well, whatever, I don't care, I'm dead. Um, but even that notion, like, you don't care? Like, there's people who, who might love you still, who are alive, and they might care. You don't care about them? Um, but when I asked it at the end of that conversation, it, he kind of was like, well, huh. Um, so anyways, I mean, even though Christians are sometimes jerks, and I mean, there's plenty of jerks who aren't Christians, too. So I, I, don't, I don't understand why that's a big deal, but... 
I mean, it, it's a big deal because we should be different. That's true. But, th- but this is also important. Yeah, we, be, we should be better jerks. <laughs> Wait a second. Uh, less jerky, okay. We should be better jerks, yeah. Now, but, but that's true, though. And, and this, the, but I think the, the, the critique of uh, Christians being hypocrites, while that's absolutely true, this is why you go to church. Because the first thing we do is we say, oh, man, I'm a poor, miserable sinner. Okay, we got that out of the way now. I mean, we understand we're, we are hypocrites, we're jerks. Yes, we are. This is true. Now, of course, you, you don't have to believe that. I mean, people can just go through the motions. That's fine. Yeah, I understand that. Um, but in, in that confession, we say, yeah, we're jerks, but, but God still loves jerks. And that's a good God. Um, and he doesn't leave us jerks. He changes us. He helps us. So anyways, so, I mean, the basic thing is, is if you believe in Jesus, you go to church. <laughs> I know that might be hard to believe, but you, you, you need to go to church. Now, now, the thing is that doesn't mean you always go to church. I mean, even I don't go to church. Well, maybe I do now. I don't know. But I, I, not, I, mean, I, I mean, I feel like I go to church almost all the time, I guess. Oh, I didn't go to church on Sunday, though, because I was traveling. I, I didn't want it that way, but... My car broke down, so we, we had to fix that. But well, I didn't break down. It was dead battery and then user error after that. But so, um, anyways, so yeah, you know, I mean, okay, so I understand that. But the idea is that you understand that you should go to church. That that's really important. So even if you might not go to church, but you feel like you should go to church, that for 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 our, your our, you know your loved ones who might be that way. That's still a good spot to be in, okay? That's still good. And that, that means that you have great hope and, you, you know, you always continue to pray for your loved ones. But anyways, but, um, but that's part of the struggle. In fact, I, my, uh, I have a, a family member who is uh, an atheist, and that, that would, that he asked that question one time. He's like, it's hard, it would be hard for me to, to you know, believe in, in Jesus because I would have to get a, I'd go to church then. Well, I mean, but it was interesting, though, like he understood that, because that's what, that's because that's what you do. <laughs> so anyways, um, and, and, you know, Bible study, again, you, you go to Bible study not because it's a rule to follow, but because your best friend's talking to you. Okay? Um, oh, and then life, then, you know, so th- those are things that happen within the walls of the church. I mean, there's a lot of other things, but, you know, it's pretty basic. And then um, life. So you have liturgy in life. And that is, you know, you go home and say your prayers and do works of mercy. Because that's what Christians do. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think, I try to keep it really simple. But, I mean, obviously there's a lot more <laughs> happening. But within these, these basic things, your world will start to kind of open up or break open. And I think that's what is happening to Jennifer now. She's finally kind of, through her uh, RCIA class, her, which I would you know, put under the subheading Bible study, and then her attendance in the church, which of course would be under Word and Sacrament, uh, things are opening up to her. Now the thing for her too, though, is that that didn't start. It was the other way around, right? So she said her prayer first on the balcony, and then she's trying to live under these rules. Although that's... That, we didn't really talk about that today, but that, that's, not a, that's not a good way of doing it, by the way. She, that's why she's 
there should be a different outlook on all that, but we'll probably talk about that some other time. Is, uh, the Bible's not a uh, self-help guide. It's not. It does help, but... It's interesting how when you think about other religions, how the focus is very insular. Right. It's very directed by the person trying to achieve something on their own. Right. Right. And the, the search is completely different. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and this, is, uh, this is why it's nice to be a Lutheran, because Martin Luther has this little, little track called, uh, well, it, in English, it, uh, the, the, uh, the Treatise on Christian Liberty or the Freedom of a Christian. You can get, I think you can get it on Google. For, I, mean, just down, I mean, it's on the Internet for free. Um, that is fun. I mean, that is one of the best things out there about what it, for your for your spiritual life, spiritual search, because he's got this great little quote that basically says, "As a Christian, you don't live in yourself or for yourself, but it's completely outwardly towards the community and towards God." And so, how? Other religions, I mean, uh, going to the Hindu Mandir up yonder, just, I mean, it, it, is, it is exactly what Kirby just says. I mean, you are thinking about yourself towards others. And, and so your others become a means to your own fulfillment. Luther's like, no, that's, that's terrible. It's the other way around. You die to yourself to give life to others. And so, um, you know, that's part of the... Uh, Oh, that's part of the hardness. I mean, Jennifer's like, man, I don't want to do that. <laughs> it's hard to do. Yeah. Well, time, effort. I mean, you name it. And then, um, but, but in the end, though, as Joe says, peace happens. And, you know, she's not saying any more intellectually true. She uses that phrase quite a bit. Right. In the early part of her book. Sure. Whatever, whatever she thinks is right. You know, that's what she goes on. Right. But now you have this quote, what is what is true? She's talking about what is becoming true for her. Right. Yep. And that, that's exactly right. So, so you know, she lived this life under under this, hey, I have all these kind of like facts and, and, and you know, figures. But now it's it's slowly now realizing that when when you encounter God, it, it, it he is outside, but he comes inside and then lives through yeah, it's kind of interesting. Anyways, uh, and this was the, uh, so okay. He can read the Bible later. Think about all those things. Um, Krista, and then we gotta pray. Yeah. I, I just only want to say, if you don't go to church, you are just um, there's a danger that you are drifting away. Well, yeah, right. There's a base. Yeah, exactly. There's a basic thing. Krista said I didn't mention that, but I did mention to that guy. I'm like, yeah, but like, so the idea is that I don't go to church, but I, I stay at home and read my Bible faithfully. That might happen. It might. Um, but yeah, when you when you don't go to church, you you drift away. I mean, it's practical. I mean, it's, I mean, you just start forgetting things because you don't hear it all the time. I mean, it's simple. Carol. One thing. Uh, Christmas sharing ad. Christmas sharing ad. Perfect. 
file it. It will be posted on Sunday, either down by the sign-up man or on the table with other stuff. But just in general, we have a request this year for many people for boots for kids. Unfortunately, no sizes. <laughs> Some of that I think is we have a, a, a lot of our families are coming from Lowell Elementary who are pulling from um, the Roosevelt apartment. Yeah, right. And there are a lot of new-to-the-country families. Yeah. I was going to say, who come from places that don't have a lot of snow. Yeah. Well, plus they, they probably can't pack a lot of clothes for them. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, coats, coats, boots, anything else? Coats, boots, um, the usual stuff we have. As I say, the one I will post this with the gas cards and why. <coughs> family that they're going down to Chicago. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, oof, yeah. Oof, duh. All right. Well, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.